You're listening to More Mojo for Mums, the place to be to learn about bringing mindfulness, mindset and intention to your life now that you're a mum. My name's Naomi Wolfson. I'm a therapist, coach and the mum of two, Jasper who's four, Evie who's two. I hope you enjoy. Breastfeeding support is not just for new mums. Due to the fact that it's Breastfeeding Awareness Week, I've invited the lovely Erin Zori to join me for a special episode. Erin is an infant feeding specialist and postnatal doula based in Reading. She helps mothers ease into their new role by providing the support they need to initiate and establish breastfeeding. She's also passionate about supporting women throughout their entire journeys of breastfeeding and offers home visits along to her, alongside her volunteer role. I first met Erin when she helped me when I, Evie was five weeks old and diagnosed a tongue tie for us and has offered ongoing support so I fed Evie up until last month when she was just over two years old. So we wanted to take today just to talk about all the support that's available to mums and why it's not just for new mums. So we asked members of the More Mojo for Mums chat group and Instagram followers if they had any questions for Erin and also if there was anything they would like to pass on to other mums about feeding. So... Let's dive straight in. Erin, hello. Hello. How are you today? Yes, I'm great. (laughs) Thanks for having me on your podcast. Thanks for joining me. Love that we're finally doing this because we've been talking about doing this for a really long time. So I think this week is perfect to be doing this. So let's just dive straight in. I'm going to just fire some questions at you and then we'll just sort of see where the conversation takes us. Okay. So, first one, what's your number one tip for a first-time mum breastfeeding? What would be the one main nugget of The number one tip, she doesn't have to do it all. Fantastic. <laughs> Loving that. And what would be a tip for a second-time mum? Reach out for the support you think you didn't need, but still do need. Ooh, like. Liking. And are there any myths you want to bust about breastfeeding for second time mums? Myths. For second time mums could mean that she either had a very lovely breastfeeding experience first time around and she's expecting more of the same and that expectation, could, it could go horribly wrong second time around. Or maybe she struggled first time. But she, we tend to, us women, we love to compartmentalize, assume things, our minds play tricks, and then when it doesn't go to plan, the one thing we need to do is reset, refocus, think about what, what do we need now. Forget about the past. We dwell too much on it. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So looking um, at it as a as a new situation right. rather than expecting it to yes. look, yeah. expecting it to be the same in either a positive or negative mm. start. Yeah. So that's kind of what was the start point of this podcast that a lot of people think, oh, breastfeeding support is just for the first time mum. Oh, no. In the labour ward perhaps or maybe breastfeeding cafes the first few weeks. Talk to us about what support sort of past those first couple of weeks what support is out there and why might people need that support oh breastfeeding support wise there's the national breastfeeding helpline 
and the BFN supporter line, you can pick up a phone and speak to a supporter between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m., I think seven days a week. We should add that phone number to the end. We will add that phone number (laughs) onto the end and the show notes for the podcast. So there's somebody at the other end of a phone. They also do live chats online as well, if you prefer that. There are several drop-in clinics, although as there are funding cutbacks, there are less and less drop-in clinics. But NCT also have their drop-in clinics. La Leche League have their once-a-month meetups. You know, you can speak to a La Leche League supporter. There are avenues. You have to seek them out a little bit. They're not right in your face, unfortunately. They're not really well-known. Um, but they're there. They're moms, experienced moms, or oh, trained breastfeeding supporters willing to help. And is that support open to mums feeding children of, of any age? Any age, any stage. Moms who want to quit feeding. Moms who, yeah... <laughs> any situation going on yeah that's right so I think that's the main thing is people think oh it would because I've been feeding for a while because I've fed in the past I don't need support whereas actually reaching out and asking for support could be really beneficial oh, even yeah. if it was just a chat on the phone yes. I apologize but we're currently uh, <laughs> recording from um the woods behind my house and obviously being the middle of the summer holidays we thought it'd be gorgeous and uh We'd be sipping cocktails while we did it, but no, we're uh, <laughs> huddling under a tree, hoping it's not going to rain on us. So hopefully the wind isn't too, too bad. We will press on, we will press on. Um, so until this week, Erin, yes. I thought that extended feeding was the phrase you used past feeding, say, six months or past a year. Right. And I have been put straight that actually <laughs> it's the term for feeding up until two years is actually known as um, natural term breastfeeding right so feeding until two is what the world health organization recommend for various health benefits two and beyond dot 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 so two mini- beyond so yeah a minimum of two years minimum of two years so talk to us about how you can shape breastfeeding to suit your own lifestyle because I know some women think oh I'm going back to work therefore I need to stop feeding yeah or I need more time away from my kids I want my partner to be more therefore I'll stop feeding but there are obviously you can shape feeding to look yes however you want so talk to us about what that might look so say a mum going back for work for example a huge range right there it's so wide open what mums want to do how it suits their lifestyle um but and, and sometimes it can be tricky to get a baby, a breastfed baby, to take a bottle, you know, so that mom can have more freedom and go out or go back to work or what have you. But, um, yeah, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. We, we do like to think about that as an all or nothing thing. I've got to stop now. I'm going back to work. Actually, going back to work usually means, you know, babies older can probably get by with sips of water throughout the day and then cluster feed and that reunion at the end of the day when they're reunited is so sweet and it just makes up and, and sometimes mom feeds a bit more in the evening and uh, so that can actually on. be a really nice way to reconnect with your child rather than feeling I have to stop breastfeeding and go back to work mm. all at the same time right. actually that could be an opportunity to just change what breastfeeding looks like right. for you and your child to move forward like it like it um and what other things could you recommend in terms of 
making breastfeeding be whatever you want it to be. Talk to us a bit about that, about what we maybe the preconceived notions we have about what breastfeeding needs to look like and what mm. it can actually look like in reality for us. Again, really wide range of <laughs> things. I mean, I've supported moms that cannot produce enough milk. Very rarely can a mom seriously not produce enough milk um, because biologically something's happened where her breast didn't develop in puberty properly. Um, there's other moms whose milk supply was affected because formula was introduced early, whatever, but they, they can't make enough. And breastfeeding looks like a bottle of the top up, whether it's expressed or formula, in a little tube on her breast while the baby's feeding. They're actually breastfeeding, they're feeding at the breast, but they're also being supplemented at the same time. It could look like that. It could look like, um, let's see, what other scenarios are there? <laughs> Mixed feeding is a bit trickier. I think it's trickier than moms realize. I think they think that's the easy way out. I'm going to mix feed. Some moms suss it out. Some moms suss it out, but sometimes it, it's, you know, a bit trickier than we think. Um, so that could yeah. definitely be an opportunity where maybe getting some support, making that phone call, yes. doing some research. Yes. And also I think one thing I wanted to add is all the, the websites that you recommend at the end of the, the podcast, and we'll put that in the, in the show notes. Right. Because it can be that Google, you can obviously get Google to kind of spew out whatever you either oh, wanted yes, to say yes. or yeah. parrot back your ultimate fears. Yes. Yeah. So where there are dedicated websites that of knowledge that you'd really recommend, so we will add them uh, onto the show notes and onto the okay. um, blog. So people have them. That if you're wanting to a specific question asked, these are the places to go and the people to talk to. Yes. To get the facts. Um, sometimes it's like putting a picture of a, like a pu puzzle together. When a mom is going through stuff, she's telling me, giving me information, and other people are either saying do this or do that and I'm sitting listening and putting the pieces of the puzzle together of what might be going wrong or what she could change so it suits her needs better. So I can't really support moms for any less than an hour. I have to sit there and listen and I have to have her go through everything. And sometimes it's just putting perspective, not even here's the answer to your problem, but actually, oh, Hasn't your baby grown so much in three months? Yeah. Haven't you done so well to get to this point? You only have another three months and it will go by so quickly before you start introducing solids and babies start dropping feeds and yeah. you start getting your life a little bit, your former life back again. And just putting that perspective on it. Because when we're feeding a baby 24-7 in the early days, it's an absolutely exhausting we're not prepared for it I don't think any of us are prepared to sit on the sofa or in bed all day <laughs> feeding a baby well, I think that's I think there are loads of fantastic posts at the moment working out the um the amount of hours on average a woman would feed for the first six months is the equivalent of having a, like a was it a three day a week job for six months <laughs> and you're like oh my god and that's something so you're basically mm. you're breastfeeding sort of in itself is is like a, it's full, a full time, full -time job and, and looking time. after yeah. yourself around that feeding right. so that you're able to do the night feed and so then, you're able to keep 
your milk supply up. And, and the media hasn't helped. They've portrayed this super mom, these women that get back to their figure in six months, you know, they've lost all the baby weight and they're making the dinner and they're keeping the house tidy. No, that's not realistic for anybody. Take the meals, take the, you know, your friend comes over to visit, ask them to put the load of laundry in the washing <laughs> yeah. machine. It's okay. I think that these things are what we have trouble, the most trouble with. Accepting the help and see, seeking the help and accepting the help that we have on offer. And it's the help also, yeah, with all the, the little things of day-to-day life rather than it being, it needing to be like a huge thing of like someone taking the baby out. It's like actually just someone maybe being there and, and holding the baby so you can have a shower. Yeah. That in the first... And even the first few months, because I think to start with, some people have maybe a bit more support in the first, like, week. Yes. And then people are like, oh, well, you know, your baby's a month old now. So get back to it. And you're like, "Uh, what? So, yeah, I think there's, um, and there's definitely more podcasts that come, Erin, where we, like, really dive into that. And how, yeah, this whole, like, superwoman thing and this this pressure that we put on ourselves. Mm. This is what, this is who I thought I'd be as a mum. And then actually the woman you are when you're a mum can sometimes feel very short of what your expectations are. So you're adding all this extra pressure on that just is not helping you. It's not helping your kids. It's not helping your partner. Um, Yes. So support. I just laugh because I've tried to make a lasagna like two days after I was home after a cesarean. Like what what was that? What was that? But at the time you were like... This is what I'm going to do now. <laughs> I can bake. It'll be fine. At least at the end of the night, when I was put, finally putting it up in the oven at like 7 p.m., I realized this was the silliest thing I've <laughs> ever attempted. Really. It took me the whole day to put it together. And, and so that helped, actually. But Yeah, it's a kind yeah. of... But if somebody had said to me, it's okay, just go to bed. <laughs> just, lie, just lie down. Lie down, <laughs> yeah. I'll bring you... Yeah, that would have been helpful. <laughs> like it like it so some of the questions we've had um Karen asked about how to talk to her daughter who is two years and seven months about stopping feeding um and Emma jumped on and replied that preparation and lots of open discussion Mm. is the way to go um I'm also going to be um posting a podcast at some point in next week or so which is kind of my my diary my journal of so I kept feeding Evie until last month and she was just turned two. So I'm going to be sharing in that podcast the books I was reading, the type of um, chats I was having with her, and other preparation we did. But Erin, could you give us some tips? So for the mums out there that are still feeding um, maybe older babies into toddlers, what sort of gentle tips could you give us for coming okay. to the end of that feeding? Don't offer, don't refuse method is a lot... Oh, it's a lot of the way the women go these days. Don't offer, don't refuse. I so think. that's what I did personally. And my daughters just eventually forgot about breastfeeding. But you have the occasional boob monsters, <laughs> is what they're referred to on social media, that don't forget. <laughs> In which case, at that stage, you know, these... These are toddlers and not babies. They can be reasoned with. They can be chatted to. They're little human beings, but they definitely understand so much more than we think they do. And the same conversation probably has to take place several times 
Not just once, not just, oh, you're a big girl now. It's time to stop breastfeeding. No, I think, you know, it takes them some time to accept it and have it really get in there. And you're boosting them up by telling them how big they are now and how well you've done. And we can do this instead, have the sweet little cuddle as a yeah, substitute. I think it's, it's that offering instead of just taking something away. It's, right. it's offering what, what's going to be in its place. Mm-hmm. I think that was really mm-hmm. important for me and Evie that it wasn't just like, I'm pulling the plug, you're not having yeah. boobs anymore, go right. away. Right. It was like, actually, we can have lovely cuddles, we can have that time that's really, for us, still have that, that closeness and that skin to skin and that hugging and those little moments that were the, the, the beautiful bits of breastfeeding. I was like, we can keep all of that with just dropping the actual feeding bit Mm -hmm. so um I love that yeah and I think the not offering not refusing is kind of really lovely because I think we can sometimes get into the habit I definitely was with Evie that I was like oh before we go in the car I offer her boob and some days like we'd only just had breakfast so she'd be like oh boob never gonna say no to like I don't think she ever ever said no to boob but when I stopped offering she then didn't ask some days to have it you know, so again, was like, oh, well, there are times where she's feeding just because I'm saying, like, would you like booby? And it's, you know, basically, <laughs> if I was like, do you want a biscuit? She's going to go, well, yeah, obviously, even if she's stuffed full, even if she's actually right. quite busy playing or happy doing something else. But if it was a biscuit, if it was boob, the answer's never going to be no. So love that. <laughs> love that. So let's pull up the other questions we had. So here we go. So, um, oh, what was this lady's name who posted on Rebecca? Rebecca. So Rebecca said what she wanted to pass on advice for other new mums. She said the best advice I got was all you need for the first few months are a sling and a boob. So true. Baby wearing, offering a feed for every cry because of course milk is more than just food, and co-sleeping saved my sanity and made everything so much easier the second time round. I did most with my first, but bed shared from birth second time round and mastered snoozing while nursing. Oh, I'm so jealous. I never quite mastered the just being able to just nap with a boob hanging out. That was always kind of my dream. I was just like, oh, I could just lie here and she'll attach herself. But never quite worked. But um, yes, that was always a dream. And Rebecca's book, happy mummy, happy baby, happy mama. I think you aren't told enough about normal infant behaviour and think Mm. something's wrong, especially with cluster feeding in the early days and developmental leaps, etc. It's important to remember that breastfeeding is a new skill that both you and the baby are learning and you both learn together as you go. Also trust that the baby's instincts will kick in and they should lead when, how often, how long they feed, etc. Which is just... Uh, absolutely amazing advice <laughs> especially like boobing and sling just it's so true isn't it yeah. like the two but again having that support as well that if if you're thinking all right I'm going to be breastfeeding I'm going to be baby wearing for both of those things you can get support and in a lot of places support with both of them on the same day at yes. the same place with um 
baby wearing cafes and breastfeeding cafes. So again, reaching out for support and just, and it might just be a tiny tweak with how you're wearing the wrap or how you're positioning on the boob could actually make a huge difference of how comfortable your body is, mm-hmm. how comfortable you are feeding or baby wearing in public, um, etc., etc. And then Rebecca had a question. Why is tongue tie not routinely checked and snipped before discharge from hospital instead of having to wait weeks for referral with sore crack nipples um, and slow weight gain? So we were chatting about this earlier, Erin. Um, yes. Talk to us more about why. I think so many people get hooked on, oh, well, the NHS should just check for a tongue tie. If there is one, snip it. We wouldn't have all these problems. Talk to us about <laughs> the flip side of that. Tongue tie, the frenulum, is a very gray area I actually the first tongue-tied baby I witnessed being breastfed was my brother who got his divided at age 15 so he could kiss his girlfriend (laughs) okay but I don't know but my mom fed you see I don't know if if she were alive I would asked her did it hurt whatever so it was interesting my training in this area because I had to put up my hand and say you know, how do you call this a simple procedure? My brother was in agony, age 15. Um, why wasn't it dealt with at the beginning? Why isn't it dealt with it? And as I go on and, and, and see tongue tie, every scenario there is to see, I've seen it, and then I'll see a new one, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it is so great. So some of them are at the front and very stretchy. The posterior ones at the back seem to be a bit more trickier especially if they're very thick and the skin is very tight. There's all a whole range of different kinds. And even the ones that look tricky, the mom's feeding just fine. I have made the mistake in my experience of being on the hospital wards, seeing a tongue tie, mentioning it to mom in case there was a feeding problem and having the mom go, well, I can't feed anymore until this problem is fixed. So now I've planted a seed in her head that created the problem where there wasn't the problem to begin with. And I've learned from that experience that I have to observe the mom, ask her questions. And so, first of all, the NHS doesn't have the manpower to deal with the amount of tongue tie that we see. That's number one. Two is, um, yeah, I've lost my train of thought, sorry. Well, yeah, I think it's the, I think the main thing we talked about earlier is that you can, a baby can have a tongue tie and feed, feed absolutely her, normally and put yeah. on weight normally. Yep. So it's not, tongue tie does not Affect mean it. That's, there yeah. will be a problem with feeding. Yeah. It can be, if there is a problem with feeding, tongue tie may be the cause of that. Yeah. So that's why then it needs to be investigated yes. and looked at and definitely considered as a, um, a reason if there's a problem with with feeding definitely have a tongue tie someone who is trained to look for tongue ties to look rather than just your normal gp right they don't have specialist training so go to an infant seeding specialist go to a tongue tie specialist tongue tie practitioner and get them to watch you feeding not just look in your baby's mouth it needs to be observing that website should be added at the end the tongue tie practitioner's website there should be photographs on there where you can see what a tongue tie looks like. If somebody's mentioned that your baby might have one or you suspect it, you can see a picture and you can 
oh, YouTube is amazing too. There are videos that show the tongue-tie baby at the breast and what they're doing at the breast. Sometimes I've seen tongue-tie babies that you can't see much underneath the tongue, but the way they're feeding, they're, you know, suck, 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 suck desperately to get their food and frequent feeding. And then once it's snipped, there's the pausing. Pausing is good, ladies. <laughs> So, yeah, we're. I think that NHS is doing the best they can. The last I heard was that in my area, in Reading, there's only four tongue-tie divisions on a Friday each week. That is a drop in the bucket compared to the amount that we're seeing. So a lot of ladies have decided to go privately um, or they've missed out on getting the help. It's, it's really a, a horrible situation. There are, there are, there is also a very small pocket of evidence accumulating that is saying that the tongue tie is not necessarily a problem but birth trauma so babies yeah. could go for cranial osteopathy you know infant cranial osteopathy and get their suck swallow mechanism working uh -huh. better yeah I've seen tongue-tie babies where the tongue-tie does affect the feeding for the first couple months and then their mouth grows big enough that it doesn't anymore. Yeah. There's that too. There's every scenario there is to see. Well, I think I had that with Jasper that, you know, they just checked in the hospital and they went, no, he doesn't have a tongue-tie, you know, he's fine. And then always had problems with latching and feeding and ended up, you know, pumping and pipe feeding him and ended up breastfeeding, but it was always uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And then when he was three months old, went, was still going to breastfeeding support cafes in London because I was still struggling. And they were like, oh yeah, he's got a Pistoria tongue tie. And it was like, but I was told he hadn't in That's the hospital. Because they obviously couldn't see it at the time mm -hmm. or they, you know, it, yes. just, it wasn't there. They said he hadn't. Can we dwell on couldn't see it at the time a little bit more? Because yeah. I get some moms that get really upset and say, they didn't, they said there was nothing there. Yeah. When a baby is born, sometimes it absolutely looks clear. And as they grow and put on so much weight in the early weeks, that fleshy bit under the tongue mm -hmm. shows itself. Yeah. And so it's not necessarily the fault of the the healthcare professional that said no I don't see anything yeah I've seen that with my own eyes a friend of mine whose baby had nothing and then at six weeks there was this yeah. thick posterior tongue tie and I thought I was going crazy until the private tongue tie practitioner explained it to me as they growing and putting on so much weight of course that it makes sense that the flesh from underneath it would nice. present itself and then you can see where the restriction of that tongue is so I think that again is not to take anything set in stone that even if you've been told, you know, yes. this isn't a problem or, right. or if you've been told this is a problem, things change yes. constantly as your baby change, but also as you change. So as they get bigger, you physically hold them in a, in a different position, yes. don't you? So then I remember with um, Evie and I, when you came around one day and I was, I was just not, you know, I thought we had it and now we've, you know, we've lost it. We just, it's just not working. And it was just because she was that bit heavier I was holding a little bit lower, a little bit of a I different angle them. with the same, you know, you know what I had a whole room of cushions and pillows propping up all different arms and legs and babies and parts to try and get this magical <laughs> position. And it's like she was a bit bigger and then suddenly it was like, oh, she's changed. Therefore, the way I'm trying to do this has to evolve good as well. Yeah. So I think that's the main thing that I've really 
benefited from is obviously having you with us supporting and working with our family ongoing yeah you've had you've been there and and even just sometimes it would be just noticing the feeling go oh just try this or just try this or all the way along whereas obviously if you hadn't been there I wouldn't have thought oh I'll go and get some specific breastfeeding advice but it if I hadn't had that advice I don't think I would have been able to keep feeding her as long as I did because Mm -hmm. I would have gone oh it was too uncomfortable you know because it kept getting like we'd sort of go through an okay patch and then it would be uncomfortable again and then it was that whole it's always uncomfortable with Jasper is that just me and then (laughs) magically it all just sort of slotted into place with me and Evie and then it's so lovely to hear kind of but that's the thing if you hadn't been here and offering me those you know and sometimes it's it's just a positioning tip or I think that emotional support as well is is huge because especially if you you want it to be this this beautiful sort of relationship between you and your child and then if there are any and obviously you'll have you might have lovely days but you might also have a lot of days for me it was more negative days where actually it was just a bit uncomfortable or it was just actually really tedious or and it that doesn't mean oh you have to stop it could just mean reach out and get support Mm. would also just change your perspective on what you're expecting it to be what you want it to be and what you need it to be and now I can look back and go well this I'm so glad I fed her for so long I'm so glad I I persevered and I I continued and yeah it didn't look all rosy the whole time but it was still you know the start of my relationship with her um so getting on to that Kate posted that for her due to a traumatic birth she wasn't able to breastfeed and that's something that she really struggled with especially with other people's um sort of opinions and things after the birth that she really wanted to be able to breastfeed but couldn't and the self-forgiveness that she kind of had to work talk to us a little bit about um if people can't feed and really want to sort of offer some okay some love there (laughs) (laughs) every drop counts so if you fed your baby for the first hour or the first day it counted towards their lifelong health and you experience that breastfeeding closeness that people talk about that you can't really put into words so I think you have to consider whatever you've done as being successful you know if you struggled from day one from the onset whatever you did whatever method you used whatever amount the baby received is successful we we like to label successful breastfeeding as getting to six months exclusive no for some moms it's just providing the first two weeks of breast milk some moms like this one with the traumatic birth are unable and mentally and it worsens if people are judging them if they're fragile and mentally unstable they're you know having somebody give them a look in a cafe because they're bottle feeding I mean it's just terrible what we do isn't it um breastfeeders feel put off by the bottle feeders the bottle feeders are put off by the breastfeeding we're always judging each other no matter what it's a no win situation no matter how we choose to feed our babies is ridiculous we need to catch ourselves when you find yourself looking at the bottle feeding mom you have to assume that she gave it the best chance she could or or can at least considered it and maybe she's not educated maybe none nobody in her family ever breastfed she shouldn't be judged 
She shouldn't be judged for any of those things. I think that's the thing, isn't it? People kind of are so quick to label what they're seeing, but nobody knows what's going on no. for that mum. Nobody knows what the mum and baby have maybe been through with birth or the first few weeks. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, love that. Thank you, Erin. Just open that again and we'll see what okay. other questions, if any, we had. Um. So the other thing we were talking about was, um, yeah, is there anything else you'd like to add in terms of, or in terms of anything? Is there anything else we need to, is there anything else we need to add? We to all this need support. <laughs> support looks like many different things. We all need it. Birth of a first baby, second baby, third baby, doesn't matter. It takes a village. I really do believe that it takes a village to raise the t- child. We're not meant to do it on our own, especially if our partner's at work all day. Um, it can be a very lonely time, but there are now wonderful social media. The best thing about social media is being able to contact people. There's wonderful apps for moms just to meet one another. Just lonely new moms that can see how how close other moms live to them and what ages are their children and what activities they like to do and it links them up. Yeah. This didn't exist when I had my first. I was extremely lonely. <laughs> um, uh, and I thought that's just the way it had to be. I just would go for walks. I didn't speak to another adult the whole day. It was terrible. No, we don't have to, we don't have to be like this. We can reach out to each other and easily quite easily and accept the help that we're offered seek the help we need it's okay <laughs> I think that's what it is, isn't it? it's like the supports out there just just allow it allow it in allow it as in as well as seek it out yeah. because sometimes people will offer support and you go oh no I'm fine whereas actually <laughs> you're not fine you're not fine I have friends that say oh where were you when when I had my I wish you were doing this when I had my my kids and I said well I am doing this because I didn't have the support myself that's why I wish I had me yeah I wish I, I wish I could clone myself I don't, mean that in a, I don't mean that in an egotistical way that sounds a little bit egotistical I wish I had I definitely would have um, invested in the postnatal period the way I invested in my wedding day I would have taken some money, put it aside. This is for when I have my baby and I can hire in whatever I need, be it a cleaning lady or a postnatal doula or a lactation consultant or whatever it is I need. I have a little sum of money for this period of my life that is very tricky, but everybody thinks it's just <laughs> yeah, no trickiness involved. You're gonna have this gorgeous new little baby. My husband went off to work. He thought, oh my god, she's got the baby, gorgeous little baby. Oh, everything's okay. Anyway. And then reality, reality <laughs> smacks you in the face. So, talk to us about um, being a postnatal doula. What does that mean, and what so do you offer to moms? I initially trained in breastfeeding support because I got the support at the last minute when I was expressing. Topping up with express breast milk, topping up with formula, 
feeding just from one side. I was so raw, sore. <laughs> and like crossing my arms. I'm like, crossing I can't my arms. It was excruciatingly <laughs> painful. And I was, on, I was literally like on my knees praying for somebody to come and help me. And I didn't know that the support was out there. Even though my mom was a La Leche League leader. How crazy is that? So I didn't know the support was out there in this wonderful, you know, um, fairy godmother in the form of a health visitor who actually knew about breastfeeding came and just tweaked the positioning and it all just, you know, went, went to plan after that. It was wonderful. So I got that help. And when I really considered going back to work, what do I want to do with my life? I want to give myself to a worthy cause. It, it just came up. Breastfeeding was my passion. I had gotten help. I would give, give back. So I trained. I volunteered. A paid role came up. I worked for the Breastfeeding Network for five years on the postnatal wards of the Royal Berkshire Hospital. In the, also in the community with moms in my area for up to six weeks. It was wonderful. However... In these days, funding cutbacks just cut back my hours year after year. And I thought, oh, goodness, what am I going to do with all my experience and all my, my, my skills? And I have to do all these study days, and I have an incredible amount to offer. And a friend of mine said, oh, have you ever heard of postnatal doulas? And I'm like, what's that? <laughs> what's a postnatal doula? That sounds cool. So I trained, and in the training, the training was lovely, but it was pretty much review for me, who had been working in this field already, but it allowed me to go to work for myself privately, because I'm not up there with the lactation consultants, and I like to provide a wraparound care as well. So, okay, if you, maybe you have your mother or your mother-in-law and tons of friends and network, and you don't need, you need me as a breastfeeding supporter, and you have other help available to you but then there's other moms that don't have their friends and family anywhere close they need the support for for sessions like three four five hours seven hours sometimes <laughs> put on a meal take care of the baby do a general tidy up I love that stuff because the mom goes <gasps> I don't have to worry about the mountain of laundry <laughs> anymore Right? So it's, I like to term it as wraparound care. It is more, I, I am not a gourmet chef. I'm not even a good cleaning lady, I would say. But the moms appreciate it so much because it means that they don't have to worry about that thing. And they can concentrate on just being a mom. So that's what a postnatal doula does. People keep asking, what is a typical session like? Ooh. I can't answer that question. It's different every time I walk in the door, even if it's with the same family. I walk in the door and I'm like the grandma who has no opinions, but just looks around <laughs> and goes, what needs doing here? Some moms work from a list. Oh, I'd love, love for these things to happen during our session. Other moms don't even know what they need. Sometimes they open the door and they just start crying because they've been waiting Aaron's here. <laughs> and um, when, we, when I get together with other doulas and postnatal doulas we love to chat about those experiences of the mom weeping as she opens the door because she's just been oh, the relief so, you know 
Um, it's extremely, extremely rewarding. And what area? So you're based in Reading. Mm-hmm. What's your kind of circle? So we've got mums listening, obviously, all over the world. But if you're based <laughs> in the UK and would like a little bit of Erin Love, what's your kind of field? Of- oh, gosh. I've been, I do travel quite a bit these days. Berkshire, West Berkshire, Oxfordshire, South Oxfordshire. Um, uh, what's the, um, let's see down Basingstoke way oh, big I should make a big map <laughs> like <laughs> but, it but then if a mom's like I'm an hour and a half away and you drive an hour would you be willing to see me <laughs> how could I say no <laughs> um yeah fantastic thank you so much Erin and I think thank that I'm definitely going to be future podcasts covering a whole range of topics because I love this because it's just like what we do we just chat chat. and go this is this is the support that mumsy this is ours so now we can be sharing our insightful hopefully informative conversations (laughs) (laughs) hope you guys enjoyed this um yes I will be sharing uh my entry on how to gently stop feeding breastfeeding a toddler at some point in the next few days with the things I did with Evie and what worked and what didn't work etc etc so thank you so much oh and there's a plane just to finish off (laughs) love it see you all soon bye hi this is Erin again with a quick additional note on tongue ties. As a breastfeeding supporter, I do not formally diagnose tongue ties. But we supporters, if we feel that one might be impacting breastfeeding, we then send parents to a tongue tie practitioner, either NHS or private. There is an extensive list on the Association for Tongue Tie Practitioners website, which is listed on this podcast. The procedure is called a frenulotomy, and for a baby, it's usually a very simple, straightforward, and quick division of the flesh beneath the tongue, and most often helps to solve some of mommy's feeding problems. Um, Baby is almost immediately placed on mom's breast afterwards and comes away very happy. Uh, Hope this information helps. For more of Erin, then follow her on Instagram at MummyMinder. Check her out on Facebook, MummyMinder, and go to MummyMinder.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, then please subscribe to this podcast and drop me a review or a star rating. Head over to moremojoformums.co.uk, pop your details in and I'll send you your three-minute reset button, MP3 and video pack. And this is a fantastic tool which is a combination of mindfulness, hypnosis, NLP, CBT, EFT and acupressure that you can use whenever your kids are pressing your buttons and you just need to reset and get yourself back to calm. I will also send you an invitation to the More Mojo for Mums chat group on Facebook. A fantastic group of women who were all just supporting each other and holding ourselves up. So go visit moremojoformums.co.uk.